you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Welcome to Fort McMurray Matters. Keeping you connected to our community. Brought to you by Cooper & Company Law Firm and Fort McMurray Orthodontics on Mix 103.7. Welcome to the show. My name is Alex McLeod. Today we're joined in studio by Jody, Aaron, and Jarrett to talk about fire season. And so just jumping right into it, who are you and what do you do? Hey, good morning. Uh, my name is Jody Butts, the regional fire chief here for Wood Buffalo. But during activations on events in our region, I'm uh, also the director of emergency management. Hello, my name is Aaron Seeger. I'm the deputy director of emergency management for the regional municipality of Wood Buffalo. Uh, my role is to make sure we're ready when emergencies happen. And we are the ones who coordinate evacuations and take care of evacuees when they happen. And good morning. My name is Jared Whitbread. I'm a welfare management specialist with Alberta Welfare. And my role uh, as a specialist is I, I kind of perform welfare behavior forecasting and throughout the season can kind of fill the role of a variety of different uh, roles on incident management teams around the province. Let's jump into kind of how long have you guys been within your roles and what kind of drew you to that career? I've been in uh, our service, so I guess the fire service for about 27 years. My current role since, uh, since 2017, what drove me there, I, I guess, you know, um, I started out as a volunteer, got an understanding of what the what the emergency services was about. The integrated service delivery model drew me to the region. Here I am, I've been in the region for coming on 23 years. I have been with emergency management for just about four years now. I started at the onset of the pandemic and uh, quickly was able to use statistics and data to help find a, a common operating picture that we could use to, to make decisions for the community and, and provide informed content to mayor and council. And uh, I, I love it. So I continue to grow it and I continue to do education. And, you know, we're, we're not without need for this here. We experience a lot of different risks in our region. And for myself, I've been in this career path for about 20 years in this position for the last uh, two years. And for me, I would say what drew me to the career is definitely the people and the ability to work on, on small and large teams. Um, we have a, a, a family of, of folks all around the province and locally and a very tight-knit family. And just being able to work on, on small teams and, and be part of a... Know something bigger is, is great. So we'll jump into fire season now. Just a rough overview. What is fire season and when does it occur? So welfare season uh, starts from March 1st and runs to October 31st. It encapsulates the time of year when we have the largest fire hazard on the landscape. So once snow is gone, which typically happens around beginning of March, till when usually we start to get snow on the ground, which can happen around the end of October. With this year's fire season, how was it compared to last, like past years in terms of like the number of fire severity and like overall impact on different regions so this year was an exceptional year we had over 2.2 million hectares burnt across the province and we haven't seen anywhere close to that much area burnt on the landscape since about 1981 where we had approximately 1.4 million hectares burnt at that time that's over 10 times uh, the five-year average 
And when we look at here locally, uh, we were sitting at around 347,000 hectares burnt, which is approximately close to 10 times our uh, five-year average burnt for this region as well. So, And also across the province, we haven't seen as many communities impacted at once in such a short period of time in, in, re- in recorded history. And with the like communities impacted, we did need a lot of firefighters coming from like overseas to help because it was such a big thing. What kind of, like, where did people come from and how many came from overseas? So Alberta Welfare has resource sharing agreements internationally, nationally, and locally. And so on an international scale, we had teams coming from the United States, South Africa, New Zealand, Australia, Mexico, and Chile. We had folks from all around Canada, from just about every province and, and territory assisting throughout the province at various times. And then locally, we have resource sharing agreements between Alberta Welfare and the regional municipality Wood Buffalo as well. Yeah, I'll just add a little bit to that. There was uh, a number of uh, other municipalities from within Alberta that bring their municipal firefighting crews up to help out. And so, yeah, there it was a it was a concerted effort. Our own resources within a regional emergency services, which uh, is entire the entire region. So, you know, the Fort McMurray crews were there. Uh, Sapery Creek was there, Anzac, and so it was a con- it was a it was a concerted effort. And then jumping into like particular firefighters or teams that you want to highlight for those efforts, are there any that come to mind that you want to kind of give a shout out or a thanks to? On a provincial scale, I definitely like to give uh, a shout out to and a huge thanks to the Peace River Wildfire Management Area and the f- colleagues and families of uh, the helicopter pilot Ryan Gould that passed away uh, this year in a tragic helicopter crash. It's a very difficult time. Wildfire is a very high risk job for all involved, uh, whether you're a wildfire employee, contractor, a structural firefighter, and it has its inherent risks that we, we try to minimize in the job. And locally, on a local scale, I definitely like to uh, show our appreciation and th- gratitude for uh, the cooperation and coordination that we had both with the Regional Municipality Emergency Services, as well as Athabasca Chippewan First Nation, Fort Chippewan Métis, Miccosukee Cree First Nation, we also had coordinated uh, efforts with uh, Smith Landing First Nation, Salt River First Nation, and the town of Fort Smith uh, on the Wood Buffalo Complex. Um, so it's very much a team effort, a coordinated effort to to keep people safe in the communities. How are the decisions made about where you guys kind of send each o- each of the firefighters? Like I know obviously with the Fort Chip one, that one was a pretty big centralized one where a lot of people went. But speaking, I guess, more province-wide, how was it decided that like people from other municipal Municipalities were to come up here and assist. So I can speak for Alberta Welfare. We have five provincial priorities that we base all our resource <coughs> decisions on. So number one is human life. Number two is communities. Uh, number three is natural resources, watershed, and sensitive soils and infrastructure. So every wildfire on the landscape, we evaluate kind of those five things and how that fire is impacting those those five kind of categories. And so that kind of helps determine and prioritize where we're sending resources and how much. We kind of look at a, every incident on its own, and so we have an usually on larger fires, we have incident management teams or an incident commander that would make that decision on what they need for that fire, how uh, he or she needs. And then as we get into a uh, forest area or local scale, we have individuals that are responsible for kind of coordinating with our local municipalities. If we require any assistance from them to coordinate together on any kind of coordinated response required. And what's like the day-to-day activities of a firefighter once you guys, let's say, were in Fort Chippewan and got there? When it comes to like firefighting, structural protection, stuff like that, how does that kind of work? So I'll speak to the general wildfire aspect, kind of day-to-day. We have a variety of wildfire crews locally that 
that are that are staged here in the area and then we have them positioned depending on the fire danger and fire hazard across the the region at different locations uh, they kind of get briefed every morning on the fire danger and the hazard kind of get prepped up for the day and then they uh, because we're such a Fort McMurray uh, region is a very remote has a lot of remote areas so we stage a lot of our our crews out by by helicopter um, and then they kind of get staged out in the forest pre-positioned for any new wildfires that kind of start on the landscape I can speak towards the uh, structural firefighting day in the life of but you know we were under these larger wildfire uh, events we follow the uh, under the command of the Alberta forestry but our focus is on the I guess the structures in and around the communities critical infrastructure is you know from power and water and that sort of thing we uh, you know through a, a various levels of priorities were they're chosen and then we work through a, a process of establishing what we would call sprinklers on these buildings and in the event and it's all in pre- preparation that uh, uh, the the fire does um, encroach in onto the community and so that we can turn this uh, the sprinkler I guess I'll use sprinkler systems because I think everybody can relate that and and then hopefully it'll help and assist if uh, any kind of firefighting events the, we know from experience that these wildfire events the greatest spread is from the ember transfer so a lot to do pre-event or we're preparing for uh, the worst case scenario in the event that uh, the fire does encroach in the community. We're joined in studio by Jody, Aaron and Jarrett to talk about fire season and the evacuation of Fort Chippewan. We're just going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. We're back to Fort McMurray Matters. Brought to you by Cooper and Company Law Firm and Fort McMurray Orthodontics on Mix 103.7. We're joined in studio by Jody, Aaron and Jarrett to talk about fire season and the evacuation of Fort Chippewan. I guess we'll just kind of jump into the evacuation of Fort Chip now. What was the process of evacuating it like? How did you guys kind of make the call to evacuate and what measures were needed kind of ahead of and during the evacuation? It was a very unique evacuation in that there are no roads and it had to be fly in, fly out. You don't usually get a trial run in emergencies, but in this case we did. The year before was the Kazan complex where there was a fire that was near the community and had everyone wondering what was the plan. So we had an opportunity to send some people up there and talk through for a couple of days on what this would look like if we needed to do it. This year, forestry gave us a a good warning because we knew it was going to take three or four days to evacuate the entire community by air, especially given the the situation where there's a complete lack of pilots and it's pretty difficult to get commercial airlines to divert from regular business for evacuations. However, we weren't the first community to evacuate in the region this summer, but we were the first fly-in, fly-out that I know of. So forestry told us, yeah, we think it's time. I was actually going to go up to Fort Chip one that day to work with the, the partners up there and talk about what it was going to look like. And uh, Chief Butts called me, he says, no, Aaron, stay here. We're evacuating. So we made the call, but we didn't immediately activate the Alberta Emergency Alert because we didn't want to cause panic. Our plan was to start with vulnerable. We have a vulnerable persons registry that's free and confidential for anyone who might need help evacuating in an emergency, any type of emergency. And so those folks um, might need a little help due to sight loss, mobility issues, elderly. And so we prioritize helping them get out first. There's a lot of elderly folks up there. So we tried to really work on that as well. But as this fire grew, it was getting closer to the community of Allison Bay. And so we prioritized that area as well. We worked with our friends at the Fort McMurray Airport Authority to help get all the airplanes we needed. 
and within three days we had everyone out that wanted to leave pretty amazing how did you deal with people that say like weren't super keen on leaving when did that kind of i guess become like a forced evacuation almost yeah i i think that's if you were to look at all evacuations everywhere that there's a certain amount of the community members that are hesitant to evacuate and so that's a that's an i guess an aspect of of the whole plan but the priority was is making sure that there was a way to evac to for those that wanted to leave that they got out once that was complete then effectively we tried to and we put uh, the one that remain behind to put them to work and here's kind of the role uh, accountability make sure that they're safe and their well-being but it needed to be a part of the part of the effort and, and I think we, we I think we did that I mean we um, we uh, did some on-site training there I think a, a 20 some local members to forestry partners here they were provided some trainers there and we put uh, put some training in the way they went so it's it's an aspect of it I think it's a natural human uh, human reaction in some not to ignore but um, part of every you know part of every event uh, evacuation plan. And then were there any like protocols in place when you guys were talking between the different organizations, let's say between like the RMWB, forestry, the different communities, and how did the isolation kind of challenge that? Did social media help get the communication across or did it kind of hinder it? There's two types of communication there, and one is formal communication amongst the different organizations. Under provincial regulation, we operate through the incident command system known as ICS, which we're all trained in and teaches us how to work together and make sure we're sharing resources and accomplishing objectives. When it comes to communicating more with people who aren't a part of that command system and the informal communications to evacuees and impacted residents, we really found social media was effective this time around. This community is very Facebook active. And the leadership of the Indigenous communities held Facebook Lives almost every night, which was really appreciated by most of their evacuees. With the municipality, we did uh, Facebook posts as well as news releases on our website. Our website is where we share our plan, our emergency management plan, as well as the sub-plans, including one specifically for Fort Chippewan. Between our organizations, Forestry brought a member of, of our team in under their organization structure to help inform what we were doing in the town of Fort Chippewan while they were working on the the fire. And I'll just add to that, like Aaron alluded to, uh, when we have these large wildfires, we do have usually an information officer assigned to the, the incident. And we we have found over the last, particularly over the last couple of years, the use of social media, especially in remote communities, is is a very critical tool to communicating to members of the public. And, and one of the things that, one of the lessons we learned in the, from the 2016 uh, Horse River wildfire was the importance of joint communication. So continuing to work together in unity between the two agencies and the various agencies, making sure we have one message going out to the public uh, to minimize confusion. So there was a lot of that coordination going on in the background to making sure our messaging was consistent. And when people did up and evacuating, obviously, by boat and plane, where did they end up going? Did they all come to Fort McMurray or were some going to like other communities or even if they had like personal places that were outside of the evacuation zone, would they were they able to go to those? In any evacuation, we encourage people to be self-resilient where they can, but we do offer supports to those that need it. We tried to try as best we could where people were going so that if they got stranded we could help them. Those that evacuated by boat, some went north to Fort Smith and their friends in the Smith's Landing First Nation uh, were self-sufficient up there. Others went by boat to Fort Mackay and were housed by their friends in the Fort Mackay First Nation of Fort Mackay Métis. And those that we flew in, some were picked up at the airport by their friends and family. You aren't forced to register as an evacuee when you're evacuated. So what we did do though is we set up a registration center at Centerfire Place because we knew there were a lot of animals coming in with people. 
And uh, we know uh, psychosocially it's best if the pets stay with their humans where possible. We had buses at the airport set up to bring people there to go through the registration process. And from there, we bussed them out to various hotels in Fort McMurray. There were registration tables set up by the municipality where people who needed supports from us were registered and supported. And the nations also set up tables to support their members directly as well. So we actually only supported about a third of the population directly through the municipality, but everyone was given the opportunity to seek those supports as needed. So there were evacuees throughout the region and as far as Edmonton, as well as into Northwest Territories, but the majority were here in Fort McMurray. You spoke on pets. What was that like kind of getting the pets on the plane and let's say like other animals trying to get them away from the fire as well? How did you kind of keep track of all of them and make sure the right pets got to the right owners? This was a precedent setting process. People were showing up to get on planes without carriers. These dogs in Fort Chippewan and cats, there were a few cats too, aren't used to being in kennels. They're they're free range dogs, as you would say. They were able to get on the plane and get to Fort McMurray and we were able to greet them with leashes and get them to center fire place where our bylaw officers were on standby. Uh, We had to put out a call to the public to borrow kennels from Fort McMurrayans and uh, they came out in droves. We've tried to return as many as possible, but we've, we've managed to keep some for future evacuations. So these pets were kenneled, they were given veterinary care. Some of them had never seen a vet. We were able through the owners to do some spaying and neutering and to do some grooming. The pets stayed with the owners where they could, but some of them weren't very well suited to hotel rooms. And so in that case, we tried to use SPCA and they took what they could, but they were already at capacity when this happened. We were able to open another facility where bylaw officers were able to house the larger dogs that weren't suitable for hotel rooms and take care of them until we were able to safely get everyone home. How did the community come together, whether it was like volunteering their time at the like registration center, donating items. I know that was a really big thing. Like, how did that kind of come together with all the community coming down and supporting? Let me start with volunteers. We have a trained emergency social services team that consists of municipal employees, as well as trained and vetted volunteers from the community. They go through training so they know what to do in these situations, how to help take care of people when they're having one of the worst days of their lives, and how to register them in a confidential and empathetic way to recognize needs and and what we can and can't support. So those folks are called out through a partnership we have with Fuse Social and their Wood Buffalo Volunteers Program. People who want to volunteer who aren't already trained, they can sign up through the same Wood Buffalo Volunteers as we find jobs for them to do that don't require some of the vetting and training ahead of time. There's lots of opportunities, but if I can make a plug for people who want to join our ESS team to, to reach out through our municipal website, there's a little bit of an application process and we make sure that they're set up for success. In terms of donations, this is a really tricky one. As with most municipalities, we don't actively encourage donations. It causes a secondary disaster. People with the best intentions will just start bringing items that they think evacuees might need, but we don't have the facility or the resources to launder and make sure these items are suitable for distribution. And they often end up in a pile that takes loads of people to deal with, and we don't always have those extra people to take care of that. In Fort McMurray, we're exceptionally lucky to have a lot of agencies such as Salvation Army, What's in Store, and Thrifty Duchess who are very capable of taking on donations and we're very generous in in, uh, distributing goods to evacuees for free and they helped us deal with the aftermath. Uh, The things that did show up 
Uh, we did call out for some new unused items to be donated at Center Fire Place, but people were so generous that we quickly had way more than we could ever distribute to this small population. And what was the process of kind of getting people home? Was it easier to kind of get everyone's, or was it more difficult to get the communication across since people were spread out from Edmonton to as far as the Northwest Territories? I think the evacuees were pretty plugged in through social media, through their own leadership, as well as through the municipality. As Jared said, we also had an information officer that was working closely with with the other groups. And we took the time we needed to come up with a robust re-entry plan to make sure it was organized. In re-entry, you have the benefit of it not being under a panic situation. We were able to take the time we needed to source the aircraft, plan it out. Uh, We were able to go hotel by hotel and to plan what kind of luggage people could bring home. They did have access to goods and services in Fort McMurray that they don't in Fort Chippewan. And they took home more than they brought, which is great. So we were able to support that. And so we needed moving vans and cargo boxes. And then to get the pets home, we needed crates and we needed to work with, there were, there were plane loads of just pets that went home. And we needed it to happen in a fairly short period of time. So we came up with a plan uh, working with the different nations and everyone signed off and agreed to it. It happened right around Indigenous Peoples Day. There was, there was this sense of celebration. We uh, The nations held a, a town hall to help share the message, as well as there was many documents produced to help people understand if they were returning home by boat or by air on, on what that looked like and what they where they could go for resources. And once people did get home, was there major damage seen to the community? How did the community kind of rebuild if there was? And what was the kind of prevention me- measures that were in place to prevent damage? You know, that was uh, as eventful as a situation like that is, uh, a huge success and accolades to all the responders up there that did an immense amount of work. There was no structural damage um, and and essential services were all maintained uh, the whole time. Not to ignore or or forget about, there was a few outlying cabins off in in the land that that were lost, but uh, overall a very uh, successful effort on any kind of damage. So as far as from a rebuild perspective, we were very happy to, when our citizens uh, re-entered, it was a seamless process from a, a municipal services you know, providing municipal services. So, yeah, you know, n- not to say that that uh, it wasn't as in, as important as it maybe sounded. It was very important. The likelihood and the risk was very, very real. But with the efforts and, you know, a little bit of help from Mother Nature as well, we were able to avoid any kind of major damage. If I can add to that, the Red Cross uh, just announced a program <coughs> whereby people who are impacted by fire, wildfires in the province can apply for reimbursable funding. And what we would like to encourage people to apply for this program for in the community of Fort Chippewan is to use towards fire smarting of their homes to help make them more resilient in future incidents. There's, I think, $1,500 towards that type of work and to improve gardening and trees and all of the the wonderful fire smart tactics that we can use to protect homes, as well as uh, to look at perhaps air scrubbing equipment and air cleaning equipment to put in their homes to give them reprieve from wildfire smoke when that happens. There is more information on this that's being published in the uh, Fort Chippewan Community Newsletter, and we just found out about this program yesterday, and it is running right through to the end of February. We're joined in studio by Jody, Aaron, and Jarrett to talk about fire season and the evacuation of Fort Chippewan. We're just going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. We're back to Fort McMurray Matters, brought to you by Cooper & Company 
Law Firm and Fort McMurray Orthodontics on Mix 103.7. We're joined in studio by Jody, Aaron, and Jarrett to talk about fire season and the evacuation of Fort Chippewan. And then kind of connecting fire season evacuation and the 2016 wildfire that happened. Were there any lessons or tactics that you guys learned during the 2016 wildfire, both within firefighting and evacuation that are still being used today? Definitely one of the lessons we learned from the 2016 Horse River wildfire and I think was a success specifically up in Fort Chippewan this season was the collaboration the prompt collaboration of, of structural protection resources within the regional municipality of Wood Buffalo and Alberta Wildfire coming together. Uh, it, within the ICS system, we have something called the Structural Protection Branch. So we put all structural protection resources under that, embed it with the overall uh, fire incident, and so we can kind of address that issue promptly. And so I, I think that was a huge success, and I think we, we need to celebrate that that prompt coordination of resources in that, in that front. I'll add to that uh, just to say that every event that happens with in our region is an opportunity to learn from and we do that and we're committed to that. Our emergency management program has evolved since 2016 and to a, a place that we're, we're very happy with. However, that doesn't mean that we can't continue to get better and learn and that's our commitment. Whether it be like evacuation, firefighting, what was some of the successes you've seen or some of the difficulties that you faced? Every year, like like Jody alluded to, uh, we've we've applied a lot of the lessons that we've learned from the 2016 Horse River wildfire, and we continue to build on those lessons and imp- updating our our approach to wildfire management. And one of the things that we implemented this year for new technology was the use of night vision uh, aircraft. So we did have night vision aircraft uh, actively operating on that wildfire uh, bucketing throughout the evening, and that that use of that technology does allow for providing real-time intelligence and really prompt intelligence to the incident management teams first thing in the morning when they when they start up and get briefing the crews so uh, that that was one one definitely new step forward in use of new technology and in ways we've kind of improved our business since on the evacuation side we did something really new conceptually and that was our together on the sni what we noticed is with people being registered as evacuees throughout Fort McMurray through the different organizations including the municipality the first nations and the metis they were looking for a way to connect Fort Chippewan is a beautiful lakeside community. They are used to being outside and being with nature. Culturally, being cooped up in hotel rooms wasn't doing well for for this population. So by doing Together on the Sny, we set up an event space right on the river where we set up teepees and we provided crisis supports, massage therapy, bingo. Uh, There were drumming circles. There were Diné hand games. Every day started with an elder's prayer. And uh, it became a true extension of the community and a place for them to gather and share and lean on each other. Not necessarily a a celebration, but a place to lean on each other and support each other. And this allowed us, we provided three meals a day there as well. It allowed us to capture the opportunity to fill service gaps that, that maybe we were missing in the hotel model. Holistically, effectively evacuating a landlocked community in a, in a way that everybody was able to return safely is a huge, a huge success and a learning from that. You know, the realization is how critical our, our airports are in both Fort Chip and Fort McMurray. That's a critical piece. But in a, in a remote community like that, I think COVID has taught us how to learn and how to communicate virtually. And that was a huge, a huge uh, advancement in making sure that the communication was there and everybody was informed and and not just the telephone there was live you know constant live virtual meetings happening so that's that evolution that i that i speak of and uh you know the virtual there's a virtual aspect to our emergency management plan now that wasn't there before and then kind of looking forward as we're in the winter 
winter season now, are there important things people should know about winter burning and like fire safety in general in the colder months? One of the things that uh, everyone needs to be cognizant of is we are we have went into an extremely high drought this fall. Um, we were in a two-year drought, and that increases the risk of uh, holdovers for wildfires throughout the winter. So with the reduced snowpack going into the fall here, um, the extreme drought, we need to be cognizant of the potential for wildfires to remain uh, in the ground throughout the winter. So if you are conducting any brush pile burning throughout the winter, or if you're only having any hunting or uh, winter camping fires, ensure you're still putting those out. Don't don't just think the snow is going to put it out for you. Um, and then when we when we get into spring, um, you know, a lot of it's going to really depend on on the the rain and the precipitation that we get. So. You know, we're, we're going into a very, like I said, dry drought rate in fall, and it's going to really depend on next year is really going to depend on uh, what we get for spring rain and how much snow we get over the winter and how fast that snow melts. So and we always hope for a, a nice slow melt and then lots of rain in the spring, but not too much. And speaking of that, like what would be the risk to the community in the summer? Is it all more dependent on the rain? But given the area burned, are we kind of at lower risk because we do have like, let's say, fire guard protection? up in place in Fort Chip now and things of that nature. So even though the the fire was within three kilometers to the community, yes, that does provide kind of a landscape fuel break now uh, from any larger wildfires to the north. But there is still a lot of old decadent fuel within and around the uh, community of, of Fort Chippewan. And so that's why we continue efforts um, on ongoing fire prevention work within the community uh, between Alberta Wildfire and the Regional Municipality Wood Buffalo. Continue with fire smart efforts around the community trying to educate homeowners. Uh, a lot of work can be done by homeowners in their own backyard in that kind of defensible space. Um, a lot of the fire guards that were put in for the purposes of last year's wildfire or this year's wildfire uh, will remain intact as ongoing fire breaks for future wildfires. And so there's a lot of things that um, have been done, will continue to be done within the fire smart realm and that uh, and everyone uh, in the communities themselves can do to, to help prevent uh, impact of wildfire in the future. And then just overall fire season evacuation plans where can people kind of find out more information about that whether it's through social media website things of that nature other informative material we have our whole emergency management plan called the regional emergency management plan the ramp available on our website at rmwb.ca and all you have to do is, is search in their emergency plan uh, so there's an overarching plan as well as sub plans for each of our individual communities within our vast region we also have preparedness tips on there and tips on what to pack in a go kit if you are forced to evacuate. We're always going to be posting on social media and in news releases where people should go to seek support if they are evacuated. There's other resources available provincially as well as through the federal government. And in regards to Alberta Wildfire, we have our Alberta Wildfire website, which uh, residents and the public can, can go to visit and check out our, any of our wildfire prevention messaging or any information on FireSmart with Alberta Wildfire. We also have our Alberta Wildfire app and our Alberta Wildfire dashboard, which residents can go uh, visit to check out any ongoing active wildfires or get any latest updated wildfire prevention and safety messaging for the region. Awesome. Well, I just want to thank you three for coming in and letting me know about fire season and about the Fort Chippewan evacuation. Thanks for having Pleasure us. Being thank you. That's the end of another edition of Fort McMurray Matters. Want a copy of this episode or any past episode? Download the podcast at Mix1037FM.com. Brought to you by Cooper & Company Law Firm and Fort McMurray Orthodontics on Mix 103.7.